Hello and welcome to the Seville Productions Purpose Podcast. I'm your host, Rupert McConnick, founder and EP at Seville Productions. Delighted today to have Jeff Hass, Acting President and CEO of American Public Power Association. Welcome, Jeff. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Rupert. Um, it's a great to connect. Uh, so, Jeff, just jumping in, can you tell us about your background and career at the American Public Power Association? Certainly. Uh, I've been at APPA for 17 years. I'm currently serving as the acting president and CEO of APPA. We are in the process now of uh, searching for our next CEO, and uh, I've been holding the uh, acting capacity for the last four months. Prior to that, I served in a uh, primarily a membership capacity at the American Public Power Association. I was responsible for uh, association membership retention and growth and many of the non-dues revenue streams for APPA. We have 1,430 utility members and approximately 200 corporate members. And uh, my responsibility over the years has been to increase and and certainly uh, retain association members. We derive about 92% of our revenues from utility memberships and uh, non-dues revenue. Wonderful. So so can you tell us, uh, can you explain what public power is and how it differs from alternative methods. I mean, you mentioned that your your members are utilities. Maybe just expand on that. Imagine you're talking to someone who doesn't really know much about it, which would be me. <laughs> and, and fill us in, you know, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, certainly. Public power is unique in that our members deliver an essential service, electricity, uh, on a not-for-profit basis. Public power is community-owned. That means that the public power communities or public power utilities are owned and operated by the the cities and towns that that operate the utility. And they operate on a, like I mentioned previously, a not-for-profit basis, unlike uh, investor-owned utilities, some very large utilities. Uh, if you live in Southern California, PG&E or Southern Cal uh, Electric uh, are investor-owned utilities, and they have shareholders and return profits to shareholders. Uh, in the public power business model, any revenues over uh, expenses stay in the community. Uh, so um, it is a very altruistic form of delivering an, an essential service. And it all start? I actually wasn't familiar with this. So I always thought that power was for profit, you know. Yeah, in uh, many places it, it is, but not in public power. Public power um, delivers electricity to approximately 49 million Americans. And that represents about 15% of the utility um, customers in the country, electric utility customers in the country. Um, so the, those 2,000 communities that are fortunate enough to be served by a public power utility, um, you know, I think are benefiting from low cost, reliable uh, uh, power that is, um, you know, uh, that operates with consideration of the environment as well. Wonderful. So um, what are the benefits of the the public power business model? Sure. Well, um, as I mentioned previously, uh, the public power uh, utilities are owned by the communities in which they serve. Uh, that means that the decisions about how the utility is, is run and, and operates are made locally. The decisions are made by uh, either an, typically an independent utility board or locally elected officials 
um, that oversee the the functions of the utility. So the the decisions, whether you know, and we may get into this um, uh, later in the podcast, uh, in terms of power supply or energy um, sources, are made by the residents uh, in the, those communities. The money that the utility makes stays in the community. The the utility often employs people that live in the community. The utility is often extremely responsive because you're answering to your your neighbors, your friends, people that you see at church. The uh, generally public power utilities are more reliable uh, than investor-owned utilities and, and electric cooperatives because, uh, again, it gets back to understanding you know how your your uh, your your utility operates locally. You know the the people that are typically working on the lines are also living in the community. So tell us about public uh, American Public Power Association's impact. Yeah, APPA impacts public power in uh, a myriad of ways. Uh, we provide resources for our members uh, so that they can uh, remain competitive and they can adjust to the changing climate as it relates to the energy marketplace and transition to more renewable energy resources. APPA advocates on behalf of public power at the federal level, uh, we ensure that legislation and, and regulations uh, do not burden how our, our members uh, operate locally. Uh, and we serve as a vetted resource for members. We provide information resources, uh, reports, and analysis for our uh, utility members, uh, as well as professional development opportunities, making sure that our members' employees are following best practices and are you know, up to speed on a very complicated industry. Uh, APPA is a uh, one-stop shop, if you will, um, a previous CEO uh, refer to APPA as, you know, association everything. We do uh, a little bit of everything for our members to help them remain uh, competitive and uh, up to speed on a rapidly changing uh, industry. And that's, you know, the grid is a huge thing right now, right? Correct? It's, I mean, we, we, we everyone wants to move away from coal-fired coal, um, electricity. Is that, I mean, that's, that's the major mandate. And that is happening. I mean, that's happening not only in public power, but across uh, the electric utility and energy landscape. And um, that is providing some challenges. You know, coal used to be just a, a you know decade or decade and a half ago, the, the major fuel source uh, for energy uh, generation, electric generation. Uh, that is not the case today. Uh, that was supplanted by natural gas. As we've seen lately, you know, natural gas prices fluctuate um, due to a, a number of circumstances, including uh, unanticipated weather. We've seen a number of winter storms that have caused natural gas uh, price spikes. You know, so as it relates to, you know, APPA and, and what, what we're looking at moving forward with regards to this energy transition, we very much support a move toward more renewables, but we want to do it in a systematic fashion where, um, you know, consumers are not, you know, are, are not looking at massive um Price increases, and we want to do it in a fashion that that ensures reliability. The renewable resources today are intermittent in nature. We do need baseload power to ensure that power is there when we need it. So this transition will will take some time, and and there's a number of other factors that play into this. You know, we need to ensure that while we're pursuing this energy transition, we also build infrastructure such as electric transmission to ensure that we can get 
the new renewable resources where they're produced to the to the population centers where they'll be consumed. And companies often see sustainability as expensive. Can can business decisions be good for the environment, good for profits? Certainly, I think that it's it's not an either or proposition uh, for public power. I think this gets back to uh, something I said earlier in that many of the decisions that are made as it relates to the fuel portfolio or the the energy portfolio for a community are made by the citizens based on local preferences. And and actually what we've seen in the past are um, communities that have looked at creating a public power utility because they are not getting the type of responsiveness from from their investor-owned utility provider, their incumbent provider, as it relates to uh, the integration of renewables in their energy resource mix. You know, cities like Boulder, Colorado have looked at municipalizing to attempt to go more green for all intents and purposes. Um, now, that that uh, attempt uh, did not was not successful, but what they did do is they exacted some concessions from their incumbent provider to um, to get more of a uh, renewable uh, portfolio. So I guess, you know, the cost of solar and wind has gone down uh, over the years. And I think that, um, you know, those uh, the, the advent of uh, uh, battery storage uh, will certainly make renewable energy um, more, I, I think, uh, more prevalent in the future in terms of actually providing less intermittency. Um, but I, until we get to that point where, uh, you know, we can ensure that there is, uh, you know, there's power when we need it. When, when someone turns the light switch on, they want to know that they're going to have uh, electricity. Um, we need, we still need that, uh, you know, the baseload fuels that the natural gas and, and nuclear and, and to a degree in some regions, uh, coal provides until we can bridge that gap. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people feel that nuclear could be the good stopgap, but there's a lot of resistance for that, for you know, the image problem and so on. Yeah, we're, we have some members that are exploring uh, small uh, modular reactors, yeah. uh, SMRs, um, and including uh, a pilot project out west that in, in conjunction with the Idaho National Lab Laboratory. Uh, we do think there's, there's promise, certainly with nuclear energy, um, and uh, one of our members down south is uh, involved in um, the, the Vogel project, which is going to be the next uh, nuclear reactor to go online here in this, this country. So um, it's been a number of years since a nuclear reactor has gone in line, online in the United States. But um, again, I do think that nuclear will play a part, uh, perhaps a very large part in the resource mix for electric utilities moving forward. Tell us about electric's essential role in combating climate change. Yeah, I, I think there is a very lo- large role for um, the electric sector to play in combating climate change. And I think what you'll see as it relates to public power is, um, you know, public power has reduced its GHG emissions uh, dramatically over the last couple of decades. And will continue to do that. Um, but again, uh, you know, our members serve communities that employ, um, you know, employ businesses and, and put people to work. And we need to make sure that as we make this transition to a more renewable energy future, that we do so mindfully. And, you know, I, I, our, many of our communities are very vested in, in building out electric, electric vehicle infrastructure, you know, charging stations and encouraging electric vehicles. Our communities are also looking at community solar projects and biomass projects. And, you know, as long as those 
projects make sense uh, and from a financial perspective and they have the support of the, their uh, respective communities, you'll see more of that in the future. Uh, public power has a track record and some of the most progressive utilities in the country are public power utilities. Um, public power has a track record uh, for uh, environmental um, uh, sustainability. And it's one of the, the three um, legs of the, you know, the public power platform, if you will. And we'll continue to look at ways to uh, pursue more sustainability while, you know, keeping costs, keeping uh, electric rates affordable and, and reliable. Wonderful. So what are some of the government policies you would like to see implemented in the next five years? Yeah, sure. That's a good question, Rupert. And I would start by, you know, probably focusing on the most immediate um, concern. And, and this isn't likely, while it is an immediate concern, it's not likely to go away anytime soon. Um, uh, and that would be the, the supply chain constraints that we're experiencing with uh, critical infrastructure, critical electric infrastructure, including uh, distribution transformers. Right now, you know, we're seeing a backlog of, um, or we're, we're seeing our, our members having to wait 18 to 24 months uh, to get distribution transformers and other critical supply. The, the, um, the wait times have gone up precipitously over the last couple of years. And this started during the pandemic and it we have not seen relief. And we are pleading uh, with uh, our federal partners uh, to work with manufacturers to identify short and long-term solutions uh, to address these, these uh, supply chain uh, constraint issues, and we hope to see relief in the future. Uh, because absent any relief, what we may see are extended outages when when there are storms and there aren't uh, backup uh, transformers, and uh, uh, we may see uh, you know economic development impacts when new housing developments can't get electricity because there aren't transformers available to uh, you know to to bring um, to to light up the circuits. Uh, for those developments. So th that's a, a near-term issue that, you know, probably will extend several years out. Uh, I mentioned the importance of transmission permitting. Uh, you know, in order to get uh, electricity, particularly wind and solar uh, generation to uh, population centers, we need to increase the number, uh, we need to increase the uh, transmission infra infrastructure uh, in, in our country. And um, new transmission lines has, have to be um, planned through transparent processes. And, you know, FERC has to be diligent in adopting and enforcing policies that, in, you know, ensure that transmission costs paid by consumers are just and reasonable. So um, we, we would like to see some uh, greater efficiency and speed at which transmission is uh, cited and approved uh, and permitted. So that would be a, another issue. And then there are a couple of pieces of legislation that impacted public power in the last couple of years, uh, including the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. The passage of that gave public power access to refundable direct payment tax credits uh, for the first time. And, and for-profit utilities have had access to this uh, vehicle for decades. But right now, um, we are waiting for guidance, we being public power, from the Treasury Department to enact rules and regulations uh, to uh, allow our members to actually get access to these uh, these monies under the IRA, um, and as well uh, the implementation of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act or IIJA um, 
afforded public power access to uh, grant monies that would help them with cybersecurity, grid resilience, uh, the deployment of EV charging, and investment in clean energy technologies. But again, uh, we're looking for additional guidance uh, from the federal government on how to access those monies. The affordability of natural gas is certainly going to remain an issue uh, for public power for the reasons I aforementioned. You know, many of our communities purchase power uh, that comes from uh, natural gas generation. And when natural gas spikes during periods of unanticipated uh, you know, storms or natural disasters, that places a lot of pressure on uh, in the, these local electric utilities. And we would like to see some support uh, through federal legislation that would allow uh, federal authorities to cap the price on wholesale uh, natural gas um, during periods of acute supply shortages or uh, natural natural disasters. And then lastly, I'll just mention cybersecurity or cyber and grid security. Uh, you know, cybersecurity is uh, an issue that impacts practically every industry and probably all Americans. And while we have strong re regulatory standards in place in public power uh, or in the electric utility space, on both the cyber and physical side, we continue to advocate for policies that would facilitate industry and government collaboration um, while avoiding one-size-fits-all mandates that could uh, hamstring some of our member utilities. Those are like the, you know, the big macro issues that we anticipate addressing in the, in the next half decade or more. So, so what's on the horizon for the American Public Power Association? Those are some of the government policies you're looking for, but what are some of the challenges and, and, and things that you're going to be addressing, do you think, in, in the near future? Yeah. So fortunately for public power, uh, you know, we have a lot of support uh, within our community. Public power, uh, we, we have joint action agencies in, in our membership. These are aggregators and, and often serve as power supply vehicles for these uh, small utilities that don't generate electricity on their own. Uh, they offer a great support mechanism and APPA works in conjunction with, you know, our joint action agency members and state and regional associations uh, that are uh, similarly situated to APPA to ensure that we can arm our members with the uh, with the information and the best practices and and uh, advocacy to support public power moving forward. Uh, the electric utility landscape is changing rapidly. Uh, the infusion of technology and and the desire to embark on this energy transition, whereby you know, we are uh, the administration is looking to uh, employ more renewables, you know, certainly entertain more electric vehicles. Uh, we need to be in a position to support our members uh, to help them with this transition. It, it is going to be uh, it's going to require a lot of resources. Fortunately, APPA is good at providing our members with uh, a myriad of resources to help them remain competitive. Do you think we'll ever get to net zero? Well, I mean, I think again, it gets back to, um, you know, the, the. I was talking about that. And then I'm yeah, like, the, 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 I, a real thing. I think it's a, really yeah, I think it's a, 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 you know, it's a, it's a great aspiration, and, um, you know, I do think that, you know, there are some states that will, will probably mandate that, um, moving forward, and, and uh, it does put a lot of pressure on, in the near term on uh, the electric utility industry. 
I, I do think, again, this transition needs to be supported by a multi-pronged approach so that we can, again, um, we can permit transmission that's that's going to be required to, uh, you know, to get the energy, get the electric, those electrons from the, the place where they're going to be generated, um, which may be far away from the nearest city. Uh, to the population centers, you know, across the country. I think that is one component in this. And then I would also say, um, you know, the, the advances in technology that we haven't realized yet. You know, again, we're, we're um, uh, the efficiency factor for these renewable resources continues to increase. Uh, the the capabilities of energy storage um, will continue to increase. Uh, other technologies, um, including small uh, modular reactors. I think are part of that equation. Um, we're looking, there is a, a number of pilot projects, including a carbon capture storage uh, project, whereby um, you know the CO2 emitted from uh, coal-fired power plants is being injected into the ground um, you know, to try to um, limit the greenhouse gas emissions um, from, that, from that fuel source. So I think it's a multi-pronged approach. There's no one, in my opinion, one path, I think it, it it's a um, a multi multifaceted approach. But um, I think that we, you know, certainly uh, it, it uh, is something for us to look um, look to pursue. Wonderful. So thank you for coming on 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 the uh, on the podcast, Jeff. It's been wonderful. I've learned quite a lot, and I'm sure our listeners will too will as well. So thank you very much. Thank you, Rupert. I appreciate the time and opportunity to meet with you. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Seville Productions Purpose Podcast. Learn more about Seville Productions and our work in the Purpose and Sponsored Entertainment space at www.sevilleproductions.com.